So good morning. It's good to be with you all uh, on this crisp Sunday morning. Um, you know, it's times like this, so I'm like, it's really nice to be outside. So um, we are continuing our sermon series through Exodus, as uh, Brian just uh, told us. I'm going to try to figure this uh, folder out here with the weights. Sorry, whoever. Uh, I think this is Havens. Sorry about that. Um, I'm just messing everything up. Um, okay, we're continuing our sermon series through Exodus 3. Last week, um, if you were not here, we talked about the burning bush, and God revealed himself uh, to Moses through uh, the burning bush, and we talked about the holiness of God. This week, we're going to talk about God revealing himself to Moses again, but this time, uh, kind of from a different angle. This time, God revealed maybe um, some of the most... Um, intimate and vulnerable thing that anyone can ever reveal to someone it's their name there's something in a name names are important names uh, connote identity family reputation character andrea and i were talking the other night on the on the deck in a lot of ways it's the most precious thing you have because it's one of the only things that's uniquely your own in ancient israel and the ancient near east um there was even more of an importance put on names. A name always said something about the person who bore it. Even more um, than even today, it captured their status, their reputation, their family, who, where they came from, who they were, who their people were. Names are important. And we named our daughter Lila. We, we put a lot of thought into her name. We named her Lila James. James was after my grandfather, who was a great man, who I, I loved a lot, and we tossed uh, uh, around a lot of names. Um, you know, we named uh, her James purposely after him, uh, and I was even able to tell him when he died that we were naming our daughter after him, even though she wasn't born quite yet, and that was really special to me. So that was a really important part of her name. We gave less importance to her name, Lila. We loved the name, and we thought it flowed well with James, but it didn't have familial significance. And we didn't even think it had biblical significance to it. But the name Lila in Hebrew means night. Night is a time typified by darkness. And of course, our, our daughter, you know, she, um, she can be dark in some ways. Scar is her favorite character from The Lion King. Do with that as you will. That, you know that song, and like his song in Lion King is like by far the worst on the whole soundtrack. She loves that song. I don't understand. But uh, the first few months of Lila's life were dark in a lot of other ways. She spent her first two nights in the NICU because she spit up um, some green bile the day she was born. It's never good when the nurse kind of looks shocked uh, on a newborn and, and says kind of like, I've never seen this before. So that was scary. They were worried she had a blockage and that she was going to have to have surgery the first night she was born. Luckily, that wasn't the case, but man, that was a crazy way to spend our first two nights as parents ever. A few weeks later, we had a phone call that told us that she almost certainly had cystic fibrosis and that we needed to bring her in um, to get tested. So we had this uh, month or a couple week period where we thought that our daughter was going to have cystic fibrosis, and that was a lot of dark nights as well. And those results came back negative, which was one of the happiest days of my life. And we've actually had a, a few other hospital visits with her since. Some stitches already, some asthma attacks. Uh, the darkness in some ways has seemed to cloud uh, around her, almost as if she's lived up to her, her namesake of night. 
And Lila does mean night, and it does seem around her. But man, the Lord has proven himself faithful to us and to her every single moment of her life. And through the hard nights and the dark days, he's shown up. He's been a light in that darkness for her and for us. This is the type of God that our God has revealed himself to be. He is a God who shines light in darkness. And we we know this, when we were dead in our sins, the light of Christ brought life to our dead bones. And because of this, our hope for Lila is that one day she too will turn her name on its head, right? The idea that her name means night, but that she will be a beacon of Christ's light even in the night or in the darkness. God chose to reveal himself in a few different ways in Exodus. We detailed some of them last week, but as I said earlier, perhaps the most intimate way that he revealed himself to Moses was in his name. When he gave Moses his name, he made himself vulnerable to Moses. Have you ever thought about it that way? The name of the God of the universe was now in the hands of humans. They could abuse the name. They could take it in vain. They could ignore it. They could demean it. And yet God said that that was worth it. It's worth me giving you this. And there were so many gods in the ancient Near East around this time, right? And and not just in neighboring cultures and tribes, but, but some that Israel had interacted with. They had seen the Egyptian gods. And there was one thing that all of those gods had in common. They didn't do anything, right? They were made of stone or metal or they were in paintings. These gods were deaf, impotent, mute. They weren't alive and they weren't real. And that is juxtaposed right next to this God who comes down in a flame and reveals his name, who speaks words, who is active and moving and shows himself to Moses. This God, the living, active creator of the universe said, here I am, Moses. And in that revelation, Moses learned something. That redemption is found in this God, in this living God, This God who is at work, who has chosen a people who wants to save and redeem. This God wants to work in human endeavors and in human history. God said salvation and redemption is found in me. You know, there is an um, ancient critique of Christianity that has begun to rear its head recently. And I found it very interesting. It's this idea that um, there might be a God. This is kind of the agnostic idea that's it's even, and some Christians that have deconstructed some, they even go this far, they, they say, there's probably a deity. There's someone up there. Maybe a cosmic force. Maybe someone that's created all things. But the ancient critique that's coming up more and more and more is this. That God doesn't care about me. He's not a personal God. He doesn't actually work in my life or in the life of the world. And what I love about this story is that it flies in the face of that. This story, God revealing his name, his presence, shows us that we have a God who is alive, is active at work, and wants to know you and me because he has made himself known. And this is the heart of everything we're going to talk about this morning. God has chosen to reveal himself to us, and that spells redemption for us. This morning we're going to see it in two ways. 
First, God's promises redemption from our bondage to sin. And then God has promised us redemption to blessings in Christ. So from something and to something. From sin to blessing. So he's promised us redemption from bondage to sin. Now we're going to do a little heavy lifting. Just a little bit of heavy lifting as we talk through the divine name. It's really important. I actually think it's super compelling as I was reading it this week. it's, It's really good stuff. So stay with me. I promise we'll get to, to some more um, application stuff, but stay with me in this first part. So what's in the name? Verse 13 says this, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What's his name? What shall I say to them? And this question's brilliant in a lot of ways. Moses is saying, If you want me to go to Israel, I've been in the fields for 40 years as an exile, tending sheep, And you want me to go take leadership over these people that I didn't even really grow up with as much. I grew up in Pharaoh's household. And you want me to take over leadership. On whose authority do I tell them that I do this? This is an open and honest question. It's not a hostile one. And God responds in kind, as we're about to see. And I think, just as a side note, human openness is met by divine openness. So when we open ourselves to God, whether it's questioning or um, inquiry into his heart, often he responds in kind with his own openness. It draws forth God's name and from God himself when Moses asks a legitimate and honest question. Human questioning leads to divine revelation. Don't forget that. So God responds this way. He says, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Okay. The divine name. The divine name in uh, the Hebrew is four consonants. There's no vowels in it. And the way that it's set up, uh, theologians have called it the tetragrammaton. Now that's a really fancy word. But it just means it's four consonants, no vowels. Traditionally, throughout church history, the way that uh, the name has been translated is how it's in here. It says, I am, or I am who I am. When you insert vowels into the consonants in the present tense, that's what it comes out with. I am who I am. Now, this is important for us because this is a statement of existence. And actually, everything we need to know about God, we can get from this. But it's a reminder that God is the God of the universe. He's the creator God. He's the God that's before and all things. He is no beginning and no end. This is how we typically talk about the divine name, right? But there's a different way that you can translate the divine name. If you put other values in, uh, or sorry, vowels in, you change the tense. And it changes it to future tense. And so there's a translation of the divine name that's not I am who I am. It's I will be who I will be. Now what's so cool about this, when translated this way, what happens is, is that it connotes this idea that God is a consistent relational God. The same God that was the God of Abraham and Isaac is the same God that is reaffirming these promises to Moses and who is the same God for us. When you translate it this way, there's this future thrust, this consistent relational future thrust that I don't want us to miss. And actually, after God reveals his name, this is why he says that very phrase, I'm the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, tells them that. Moses would have heard that in the translation. But there's one final way. There's this tense in the Hebrew called the, the nifal tense. 
And if you add certain vowels to this name, it changes it to that tense. And here, here's the nuance of the nifal tense. Causation. This way, when you translate it, it says, I will cause to be what I will cause to be. So when God says his name to Moses, Moses wouldn't have just heard a statement of existence. He wouldn't have just heard a statement of consistent relational engagement. He would have heard divine sovereignty, power, and will over all things. God is the great causer of things to happen. I will cause to be what I will cause to be says all things that have been created, yes, have been created under me, but I also uphold them by the power of my will. I am making things happen. My will is sovereign over you, Moses, and over your people. Now go gather the elders and let's go to Egypt and we will rescue them on the power of my sovereign will. Moses would have heard all four of these things, and I, all three of those translations, and I think it's really important for us to not miss that. Because if we hear just I am who I am, the danger is that we fall into what I just talked about a second ago. Oh yeah, God exists. He's just up there. No, 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 no. God is actively consistent in who he is and working his will out in the whole world. And he was for Moses and he is for us today. It's no mistake that after God reveals this name to Moses, that the first thing he says is that he sees their affliction. In accordance to who he just said he was, he promised that I will redeem you. I will save you. I will bring you to a land of milk and honey. And this was a very literal redemption for God's people. They were literally slaves who needed rescue and redemption because broken, sinful, and evil people had abused them and enslaved them. God promised to rescue them. And this, of course, for us, if we talk about application, it's not a one-to-one -one ratio for us, right? We are not literally in slavery. Glory be to God for that. But sin has put the world in bondage in much the same way that the people of Israel were. Sin is slavery. Both the sin that we commit and the sin that's done to us. It can be like a noose around our neck. It can dictate our ways, what we do and how we live. And what we see here is that God's redemption is the answer to the bondage that sin has put us in. Redemption is the action of of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment. And this is what God promised to do for Israel. The text said he will work his mighty hand in Egypt and Pharaoh to regain his people. And think about this. That same God did the same thing for us. He chose to send his most precious possession, his own son, to become affliction itself so that we could be saved. This is who and what Jesus did. He, God sent Jesus to regain us in exchange for his life to clear our debt. That same God is the same God that promised redemption to Moses on that mountain. So my question for you this morning is, where do you need redemption? 
All of us need God's redeeming love this morning. This is not just an eternal redemption. This is a lived-in reality for us that no matter what we've done, how far we've fallen away, no matter what sin we've committed, redemption is yours this morning. All of us struggle with the bondage of sin. Some of you are committing habitual sin you can't get away from. Some of you are in the throes of addiction. Some of you have egregious sin done to you, abuse and hurt. All of us have felt like we've been in crisis for like six months, right? And even in the midst of that, our God is an active, dynamic, powerful, mighty God who has promised redemption for us. We have a God who fixes things. How cool is that? He sees all that sin broke and he wants to redeem it. He sent his son to clear the debt that sin has caused us. So where do you need that freedom this morning? Where do you need uh, to hear that in your chair this morning? We have a God who redeems, who buys back. The name of God, the active, living, engaging name of God is redemption for each of us this morning. That brings us to our second point. So we must trust in the God who's revealed himself to us and he's promised redemption from the bondage of sin and yet what we're gonna see is that redemption itself is never just from something, it's to something. And we mentioned that last week. And this morning we're gonna see that it's a, a, a promised redemption to blessing. So the passage from our first point ends with God telling Moses that he would bring them to a land flowing with milk and honey. This is a metaphor for flourishing, prosperity, health, and blessing to an enslaved people. And he goes on in verse 18, he says, They will listen to your voice, and you, the elders, shall now go to the king and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Please let us go three days to journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. So it's almost like a first try. God says, go to Pharaoh, tell him the people of Israel need three days to worship and pray in the desert. And God knew that this request wouldn't fly with Pharaoh. He knew that he would say no. And there's a bunch of uh, commentators that debate why God said make this first request. Um, we don't really know. And regardless, for our purposes, we just know that it sets Moses, God, and the Hebrew people in opposition to Pharaoh. That's important for us to, think, to see. And he says this in about 19. God says, I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by my mighty hand. There's already this opposition being set up. So what does God say he'll do? In verse 20, he says, he will stretch out his hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give uh, people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. When you go, you should not go empty. Each woman shall ask of her neighbor, any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry or clothing, she'll put them on your sons and daughters and you, you will plunder the Egyptians. So he says, I will strike, uh, um, stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians. This is actually super cool. The word strike here is the same word that was used when Moses, who saw one of his fellow Israelites getting whipped by the Egyptian foreman and Moses struck him. It's the same word that God says he will use to strike the Egyptians. It's almost like God's chosen leader 
already foreshadowing and a precursor to how God was going to move against the abusers and the enslavers that were the Egyptians. I love that. It's like you didn't know that when Moses said it first, but then like a whole half later we see it. But not only will he strike the Egyptians, he says you will leave that place with wealth. They will give you their gold and their silver and their jewelry. I'm not just saving you from slavery. You're actually going to go, and you're not going to just have a promised land that I've promised you for centuries, That though you are. You're going to go, and you're going to go with wealth. They will be blessed in the midst of their salvation and redemption. This is the type of God that revealed himself to Moses. A God who doesn't just redeem us from something, but to something. Redemption is always to something. In the same way, that's true of us. It's not just from our sin, but it's to Christ. Part of the beauty of our salvation is that we are giving the blessing of being in Christ, united to him eternally. But what does that mean for us this morning? I, I think it's really important for us to remember that, yes, God does and can rectify our past, but he always brings us into a more beautiful and blessed future. We have a God who both saves us and promises anew. 2020 has been hard for a lot of us. It's hard to forget that we're in the midst of a global pandemic sometimes because it's so pervasive. It's everywhere. And yet it's easy, I think, to forget how it's affecting us. And it's straining and pressing on us in these different ways. Sin is rampant. Marriages are struggling. Depression and anxiety are at some of the highest levels they've ever been. The suicide rate throughout the nation is really, really scary. This year is hard, and it will continue to be. But my encouragement for all of us this morning is if we're struggling with any of these things, we have a God who's promised us redemption to a more beautiful and blessed future. We have a God who doesn't just save us from our sin, but promises us to bring us to something beautiful, to enter into our mess and redeem it. I don't know why God let a pandemic happen this year. I I, I don't know why this year has gone the way it has. And I don't know what good could possibly come of it. I think it's important for us to lament and mourn that. But I do know this. God has promised that his redemption spells blessing for his people, for us. Maybe for you that's a change in perspective. It's easy for me to wallow or to pity myself. Poor me, this year's been bad. But wallowing's the easiest way to miss out on the potential blessings that God has for us. Or maybe for you, you ignore how difficult this season of life has been or how it's affecting you. But ignoring the effects of the fall can cause us to miss out on the blessings of the redemption. If you don't feel like you need God's blessing, how could you experience it? God has promised us blessing in Christ. God promised the Israelites blessing from Egypt, and he followed through on that promise, and he will for you too. And it may not be until Christ returns or we go and be with him, but we can expect that Christ will make good on that promise. 
And we know this. We know that this is true in Jesus. Because in John 8, there's this beautiful scene between the Pharisees and Jesus. And uh, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and they're debating, and they're going back and forth. And they've been doing it for a whole like chapter. All of John 8, they're going back and forth. And Jesus is ending this debate with them and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And they were so confused when he said this. that They're like, hey, uh, who are you? Everyone dies. Abraham died. The prophets died. If we keep your word, Jesus, we won't die. What are you talking about? Are you better than Abraham? Are you stronger than the prophets? And they laughed at him. And Jesus said this. He said, before Abraham, Yahweh. He said, before Abraham was, I am. He claimed the divine name, the name that was unspoken that you weren't supposed to say because it was too holy. The tetragrammaton itself, the unspoken name. He said, I am God. I am over death. I am, was created all things before it ever even in the picture has no bearing on me. And if you are in me, it has no bearing over you either. This was so offensive to him, so unbelievable that they picked up stones and tried to kill him. But uh, Jesus hid himself, is what this text says. And many scholars think he disappeared and left. Jesus' words to them are the same to you this morning. In Christ Jesus, there is no death for us. Or when we die, we will be with him for eternity. He is the great I will be who I will be. He is the great I will cause to be what I will cause to be. The sting of death could not keep him down. He was raised to his own glorious future. Colossians 3 says that we too are raised with him right now in him. Able to experience his eternal blessing even now in the darkest of times. And that's free for you this morning. So whatever you're going through this morning, the great redeemer says this, I have plans for you, plans to prosper you. And wherever your sin is this morning, we don't have a God who just forgives it. We have a God who wants to bring us to himself, to bless us, to create flourishing in and through us. A God who promised to redeem whatever situation or sin we're in. And he wants to give you himself. So what's in a name? Um, sorry, I messed up my microphone. What's in a name? One thing we do here at Hope Chapel is that when we baptize babies, we have the parents read a blessing over them. And when Andrea and I got the privilege to do that for Lila, um, this is what we said about her. We said, Lila, your name in Hebrew means night. And we pray that will mean something for you for the rest of your life. We pray that the night... And the darkness has no claim over you as you are a child of the living God. We pray that you have peace and freedom during the night, a time typified by anxiety and stress. And ultimately, we pray that you will be a light to those in darkness who are in perpetual nighttime for the sake of the good news of Jesus Christ. Remember always whose you are. You are a child of the God Almighty who holds all things in his hands who goes before you and behind you, who loves and cares for you, and who will be by your side for your entire life. And as Psalm 74 says, his is the day, his also the night, 
What he's saying is his also, Lila. You are his and he is yours. And we love you. Church, those words are true of all of us this morning. We are children of God Almighty who causes all things to be, who holds all things in his hands, who is consistently himself, who goes before us and behind us, who loves us and cares for us, who will be by our side for our entire life, who has promised redemption both from our brokenness and to a glorious future with him. And he has revealed himself to be that God for us this morning. Don't forget that redemption. Don't forget that blessing. Don't forget that love. Amen. Father, thank you that you came. You revealed yourself to us, God, that you made a way of salvation and redemption for us. Thank you for your goodness, your holiness, your love, and your grace. It's in your name we pray. Amen.